The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Good morning. I want to say thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Chase, and I'm one of the pastors here at Temple Bible Church, and we're grateful that you are with us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, May 29th, 1953, something happened that had never happened before. No one had been able to accomplish it. But 10 weeks prior, and 170 miles away, a journey began that involved 360 porters and over 20 guides, along with the men on the expedition. And there, on the afternoon of May 29th, only two men, Edmund Hillary and Tenzig Norgay, stood where no one had stood before. They stood atop the peak of Mount Everest. Percy Harris, this amazing climber, had called this mountain unclimbable. Many had tried, but all had failed. But Edmund Hillary conquered Everest, and by the time he got back to Kathmandu, he had been knighted. Sir Edmund Hillary. But something far more amazing happened 1,920 years before when Jesus Christ conquered death. Since the Garden of Eden, nobody overcame the grip of death on humanity. But Jesus Christ did. And he didn't just climb the high mountain of death and then ask others to climb it after him. He flattened the mountain. He made a straight path to life for all who would believe. He made the way, the only way for all who trust in him when he claimed victory over the grave. So today, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's Resurrection Sunday. And what we're going to talk about is what does the resurrection accomplish? What does it mean? What does it prove? What does it accomplish? And in light of the resurrection, how should we now live? Now, when when I say resurrection, what I mean is this twofold biblical account that the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth is empty and that a lot of people witnessed the Christ who had been raised from the dead bodily by the power of God. See, if there was just one of these things, this empty tomb, but no one had seen him, there might be room for skepticism. If there were just eyewitnesses, but a tomb was full, we might assume that people were hallucinating. But because there is, in fact, an empty tomb and bodily appearances to one and then two and then 12 and then 500 We have what theologians and historians and investigators call both sufficient and necessary evidence. These were the conditions that brought about the rise of Christianity and the plausibility that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And in fact, when the evidence is examined, it's not just plausible, it's the most believable scenario for anyone who comes to the table with an open mind. Now, you might hear this. This might be new for you. You might be watching a church live stream for the first time, and you might say, Chase, come on, really, are you serious? This is what Christians believe. And let, let me acknowledge there are, there are some people, really boorish people, for whom the concepts of love and justice really don't matter. People who are content to live a hopeless existence. 
And for them, the story of Christianity and the resurrection of Jesus Christ will offer little appeal, but for the rest of us, for most of us who actually would be willing to consider that Jesus rose from the dead, a risen Jesus changes everything. So as we consider what the resurrection means and what it proves and what it accomplishes, I want to pray to this risen Jesus. Well, Jesus, we we don't know what the disciples must have felt on that first Sunday. Scared of the Romans, scared of the Jewish leaders. Maybe they were resolute praying in defiance of death like a friend of ours taught us to pray over the last few years that though the fig tree should not blossom and there's no fruit on the vines and the produce of the olive fail. The fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet we will rejoice in the Lord. We will take joy in the God of our salvation. God the Lord is our strength. He makes our feet like a deer. He makes us tread on high places. Maybe they were praying that. But in the midst of that, Jesus, you showed up. A bodily resurrected king holes in your hands and side for all the world to see. And so we pray today that you would help us to see anew the resurrected Jesus that changes everything. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles there in your homes as you join us online, I would invite you to turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is we're going to read there today. And the first question we're going to answer is what does the resurrection mean? What does the resurrection mean? See, there are four historical accounts of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are four historical accounts, and each of these accounts comes from a witness or a very close friend of a witness who walked with Jesus when he was on the earth, when he was God in the flesh here who dwelt among us. And and so for Matthew, one of Jesus' friends, the resurrection means that Jesus is, in fact, Israel's Messiah, the king who establishes the kingdom of God on earth. For Mark, that means that Jesus is the Son of God who suffers to save others. These are two of these eyewitness accounts we have. We call them the Gospels, which just means good news. For Luke, for Luke, the resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus is the Savior of the world who came to seek after the lost. And for John, in whose Gospel we will read today, it means that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, And it's been written that you might believe that and that believing you would have life in his name. So let's read John in chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week. See, we talked last week about the fact that John is a book of new creation and new creation is what's happening in the resurrection of Jesus. He is making all things new. So on the first day, day of the week, just as God began to create on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, 
They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. See, a lot of people read the Gospels, and they'll say, well, the disciples, the resurrection, they just believed it because they already had faith. They were just affirming what they already believed, but they didn't actually believe, according to John. Mary thought someone had taken the, the body. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb, but both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first, and he stopped to look in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came and followed him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, it was not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then they went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, and she, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. See, it's in a garden on the first day of the week. She said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not cling to me for I've not yet ascended to my father and your father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Mary sees the risen Jesus. And when he says her name, she recognizes him as her teacher. Well, what does the resurrection prove? The first thing it proves is it proves the teaching of Jesus has authority. It proves his teaching has authority. She calls him teacher and teach he did. And so all of the things he taught, if the Christ is risen as indeed he is, these things come with authority. Well, what did Jesus teach? Well, I'd like us to go back in the book of John and just consider some of the things that Jesus taught. And his teaching has authority because indeed he rose from the dead. In John 2, 19, Jesus is there at the temple and he's letting people know he's the new temple. He's the new presence of God on earth. And he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Well, the people are confused. They say, you're going to build this temple or rebuild it in three days? It took us 46 years. But he was speaking about the temple of his body when therefore he was raised His disciples remembered he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that he has spoken. The resurrected Jesus teaches with authority. Teaches with authority. Second, 
He taught that God so loved the world. He told Nicodemus, this Pharisee, that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. And this Christ rose from the dead. And his teaching has authority that if you believe in him, if you trust in him, if you put your hope in him as we who call ourselves Christians have done, that you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. Jesus went on to say in John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. When being questioned by leaders, Jesus said, As the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. In John 5, 21, Jesus said, I'm the one who gives life. And his teaching has authority. See, if he had said these things but didn't raise from the dead, if the tomb was full, if people hadn't seen him, the statements like this, the son gives life to whom he will, would have no authority. In fact, for Christians, our lives would be a waste But in fact, Jesus did raise from the dead. In John 5, 24, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. In John 5, 39, he told the Pharisees, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it's they that bear witness to me. These scriptures that speak about eternal life speak as me of me is the one who gives it. In John 6, 35, after feeding this large crowd of people miraculously, he said to the people, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He offers satisfaction for the deepest longings of the human heart. And he rose from the dead. His teaching has Authority. Jesus said in John 6, chapter or verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then nobody is raised. We have no hope. But in fact, Christ is raised from the dead, and he will raise up all those who believe in him on that last day. Jesus said at a large feast in John chapter 7, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke and said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, and his teaching has authority because he rose from the dead. He said in John 8, 31 and 32, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He goes on to say that that's freedom from sin. And he rose from the dead. In John 10, verse 11, he said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Before he died, he told people, I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to lay my life down for you, and I will take it up again. That's what he said in John 10, 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. See, it's the easiest thing in the world to prove false if we could just produce a body. 
if there just weren't all of these witnesses. He said in John 10, 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. In John 11, one of Jesus' best friends had died. His sisters are weeping. They're wondering where Jesus is. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And in John 14, the night before he died, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? See, Jesus died. He's risen from the dead. He's gone to prepare a place for all those who believe in him. And he said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The resurrection of Jesus proves his teaching has authority. And he says he's the only way. He told his disciples that same night, I came from the Father and I've come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And then he said, I've said these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And through his death and through his resurrection, he in fact did. The teaching of Jesus has authority because Jesus rose from the dead. See, the resurrection proves that the teaching of Jesus has authority, but then it also proves that the incarnation of Jesus has legitimacy. We'll continue in John chapter 20. See, Mary went and told the disciples what happened. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. They were self-isolating. They were sheltered in place. And Jesus, in the midst of that moment, said, peace be with you. And church, I want you to know in the midst of this moment where we are self-isolated, where we have sheltered in place, that risen Jesus would say to us, peace be with you. Because he's with us. This is where he showed up and he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad. When they saw the Lord, they were fearful until they saw Jesus and then they were glad. And he said again, peace be with you as the father has sent me. Even so, I'm sending you this risen Christ was sent by the father and he became one of us. He became human. He dwelt among us and his resurrection shows that his incarnation was legitimate. And then he breathed on them and gave them the Holy Spirit. Verse 24, now Thomas was one of the 12 called the twin. He was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but Thomas doubted. He said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, unless I see his side and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. But eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with him. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. See, 
locked doors can't keep the presence of God out of your life. And maybe for some of you today, he's showing up and helping you to understand and see for the first time that Jesus, in fact, did raise from the dead. And Jesus said again, peace be with you. And then he looked at Thomas. He looked at Thomas who had said, unless I see, I'll never believe. Unless I put my hands, I'll never believe. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God, Jesus said, have you believed because you've seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. See, the incarnation was legitimate. It was true. And Thomas seeing was coming to understand what John proclaimed had happened. See, the book of John begins... In John 1, 1, and it speaks about this legitimate incarnation that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. See, Jesus was the Word, and He was with God, and then we're told, and He was God. And then we're told in verse 2, He was there in the beginning, with God and all things were made through him. This is creator God who became flesh. And then verse four says, in him was life. And this life was the light of men and the light shines in darkness and darkness cannot overcome it. See, on that first day of the week, Mary shows up while it's still dark and there's a resurrection light that is shining that all the darkness in the world can't overcome, that disease, that death, that our own sinfulness cannot overcome. This light was shining into darkness and this light was Jesus Christ and this light was the light of men. He was the true light, verse 9, that was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Again, this is creator, God, becoming flesh. And then verse 12. Verse 12 says, But all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood or the will or the flesh, but the will of God. He gave them the right to become the children of God. John's introducing this book that will tell of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's saying he was God and his resurrection proves this first chapter true. Verse 14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was like a tabernacle among us. He was where the presence of God was on earth. And we have seen his glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16 says from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. And the verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus, who after he raised from the dead, told his disciples, I'm going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God, this one and only who is now at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus has shown us what God is like through his life, through his love, through his death, through his resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus proves that the teaching of Jesus has authority. The resurrection proves that the incarnation of Jesus has legitimacy. And the resurrection proves that the power of Jesus 
has enormity. See, he says to his disciples, peace be with you. In the midst of Roman occupation, in the midst of Jewish leaders trying to stamp out their movement, in the midst of fear of the unknown of what do we do now, he says, peace. He says, peace, and he says it by the resurrection power of the God of all creation. See, the resurrection proves his power has enormity, but listen, the death of Jesus proved that too when he said he was going to lay down his life. But the life of Jesus also proved it. If we just walked through the book of John, what we would see is that in John 1, before he meets him, he, he sees this guy Nathaniel, and when he meets him, he says, well, you're an Israelite in whom there is no guile. There's no wickedness in you. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? How do you know me? And Jesus said, don't marvel at this. You're going to see a lot more than this. And in John chapter 2, he and his disciples go to a wedding feast. And at that wedding feast, they run out of wine. And his mom comes to him and says, hey, they need more wine. And Jesus is bothered by this. He says, my time has not yet come. But he takes water and turns it into wine. And the, the master of ceremonies at this party says, hey, man, you've saved the good wine until now. A lot of you are quarantined and you've saved the good wine until now. But Jesus took water and he turned it into wine. Later in John 2, he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days, as we said. And he was talking about the temple of his body. And he did. In John chapter 4, he meets a woman who's a, of Samaria and, and this woman is in an awful society and she's an outcast even in that society. But there, when she gives testimony about Jesus, she says, I met a man who told me everything about me. He knew everything about me. And knowing it, he still loved her. And knowing everything about you and about me, he knows us and he loves us. At the end of John 4, he healed an official son who was at the point of death. John 5 tells the story of Jesus healing a man who couldn't walk. In John 6, with just a few fish and a few loaves, he feeds 5,000 men and their wives and their children. Their families are there. In John 7, he teaches in such a way that the people marveled at his learning, saying no one ever spoke like this man before. In John 8, he was the light of the world who offered freedom from sins, and he proclaimed, I'm eternal, I've been here longer than Father Abraham. In John chapter 9, we hear the story of a man born blind. And Jesus touches him and heals him. The man thinks he's a prophet and the religious leaders are upset. And they say, what do you say about this man? And he says, here's what I know. I was blind and now I see. That's his testimony about Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus proves that his power has enormity. In John 10, he told that he would offer himself for the life of the world. In John 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And in John 12, he was hailed as king. And he told his disciples how he would die. He had power to know future events before they happened. See, the resurrection of Jesus proves that his teaching had authority. 
The resurrection of Jesus proves that his incarnation has legitimacy, and the resurrection proves that his power has enormity. Well, how does it prove this? I mean, we've hit on a couple of things, and one is, of course, that empty tomb. See, tradition would have been that six or seven months later, people would have come and taken the decomposed body, and they would have buried the bones neatly in another part of the tomb. That's what people did to these venerated leaders, and so so surely the movement would have wiped out. And in fact, if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, what history tells us is that the movement would have gone away. There were lots of messianic claims in the ancient Near East, and all of them but one died out within six months after the death of the leader. See, they would make claims about the leader, but then bones would show up and they would be buried. And in fact, you can go for other religions and and see where the bones of those leaders are, but the tomb is empty and a lot of people saw him. And in six months, the movement wasn't wiped out. It was growing and it was multiplying and it kept multiplying, not six months, not 12 months, not one year, not two years, but 2,000 years later. Movement like the world has never known that Jesus Christ is Lord. The movement didn't die and it never will because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. See, that's what the resurrection proves ultimately that Jesus Christ is Lord of all creation. And he's been given the name that's above every name and we've got the opportunity to trust in him and have eternal life. Well, what does the resurrection accomplish? What does it accomplish? It accomplishes salvation for all who believe. It accomplishes salvation for all who believe. That's what it did for those first followers who had a lasting faith, though many of them were killed because of their faith. They wouldn't recant, though some were exiled, but they wouldn't recant. It accomplishes salvation for them, and it accomplishes salvation for all who believe. Jesus said, I've got power to give life to all who believe, and he'll give power to you today. If you believe, he'll give life to you today. The resurrection accomplishes salvation. The resurrection inaugurates new creation. See, it's a signpost to this coming day, the first day of the week. New creation begins. God said, let there be light. And Jesus was the light shining in darkness. And the darkness couldn't overcome it. And here's Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb early on the first day of the week. And there's this resurrection light that's going to shine through Jesus that will never be extinguished. See, the resurrection accomplishes salvation. It inaugurates new creation. And then it brings us together as a sign to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, what's hard about today is that we can't all gather in this building where the church, the people of God, gather. Instead, we're gathering online. And we can do that because the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that's at work in us but we've been brought together and it's a sign to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that Jesus Christ is Lord because the most unlikely of people have been brought together. There's Matthew, the tax collector, who's there. 
There's John and James and Peter and Andrew, the fishermen. There's Simon, the zealot, who they wouldn't have all come together, but they came together because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. See, some of you don't believe. And we live in a culture that kind of celebrates skepticism. But the scripture doesn't really celebrate it. Thomas Thomas says, I won't believe unless I see. And Jesus says, you know what? You can put your, your finger here. You can see my hands. You can put your hand and place it on my side. But then he says in John 20, 27, do not disbelieve, but believe. See, some of you are watching today and really in your heart of hearts, you don't believe. And you wonder, why does my wife believe? Why do my kids believe? Why does my husband believe there's... There's just something odd about them. And what I would submit to you is that maybe it's not them. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. See, it takes a great amount of cognitive dissonance to look at all of the evidence about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and still go, no, I just can't believe. No, I'm just not going to believe. I would just submit to you that maybe it's you. And maybe if somebody were standing here looking you dead in the face, going, you can put your hands in my hands and you can touch my side. You just might still not believe. And God's call to you today is do not disbelieve, but believe. See, you're free to ignore the evidence and continue in doubt if you want to. But you might not believe if someone was asking you to touch their scars. See, for me and for a lot of other people, in a lot of other places, in a lot of other nations, with a lot of other cultural backgrounds, on a lot of streets in Temple and Belton and Salado and Troy and Academy, for a lot of people. See, we've seen the evidence and we can't do anything but believe. Because the evidence is so clear that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Leslie Newbegin, a British missionary and theologian was asked one time, are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? See, if you look at the circumstances around you on great seasons, you might be led to become an optimist. If you look at the circumstances around you in a moment like coronavirus, you might be led to become a pessimist. But Leslie Newbigin said, I'm neither an optimist or a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I'm a believer. See, John 20 ends this way by telling us why this whole book was written. He says in verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written, this book, this authoritative teaching, this truth about the incarnation, these amazing miracles, these were written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So in light of the resurrection, how now do we live? How now do we live in light of the resurrection? Perhaps a better question is who now should we be? Or who are we? Well, I want to speak to two people in this room today. And one is a believer. How now shall we live and who now shall we be? We are the sent ones now. See, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. 
As the Father sent me, so I send you. So we're sent to tell the good news. And some of you, you don't believe. And the call to you today is do not disbelieve, but believe Jesus rose from the dead. And if you believe, you can trust in him today by confessing, Jesus, I need you. And I need my sins forgiven. See, Jesus Christ died on a cross to take the punishment for your sins and for my sins, for the sins of the world. And if you simply confess, Jesus, I need my sins forgiven. Jesus, would you be my resurrected king? I wanna put my life in your hands. Some of you today, right now, that's what you're praying. That's your confession. And if that's your confession on this Resurrection Sunday, we wanna hear about it. You can email me and let me know. You can comment on Facebook. You can let another pastor at this church know. Let a family member know. We would love to rejoice with you. See, what does the resurrection do? The life without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if it's lived with intellectual honesty, it's just lived in hopelessness. See, with the resurrection, what does the resurrection do? Well, I'll just tell you yesterday about a couple of phone calls I got. The resurrection of Jesus matters to the life of a widow who said goodbye to her husband yesterday. As I was talking with her on the phone last night, she said, Chase, I'm grieving, but I'm not grieving for him. He's with our Lord. He's with our King. I'm grieving for me, and I'm grieving with hope because my husband isn't sick anymore. See, the resurrection of Jesus, a doctor friend of mine from Austin called and said, pray for me because I leave Monday to go to the field hospital in Central Park to serve patients with COVID-19 because they need to be loved and they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, that's the sort of transformation the resurrection makes. For us, church, what I'm Seeing in the midst of this awful moment that I love is that the poor and the vulnerable are being cared for because we believe Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm hearing the good news about the resurrection spoken, not just in this day and on this stage, but I'm hearing it all around our county and I'm hearing it all across the world. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that changes everything. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we thank you that it's true and very true that you have risen from the dead. And no matter how skeptical some might be, all the darkness in the world cannot change the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So God, I pray for some today who are considering Jesus, God, that you would move in their hearts and that they would believe, that they would no longer disbelieve, but that they would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's why this book was written, that they would believe and that believing they would have life in his name, not a hopeless life, not a helpless life, but a resurrected life life that is new and a signpost to this resurrection that's coming for all of us who believe because he will raise us up on the last day. And God, I pray for us as believers in light of the resurrection, God, 
Would you empower us to live as the sent ones who are caring for the poor, who are hoping in hard situations, who are proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ to a world that needs to know that Jesus did indeed raise from the dead and does indeed give life to all who believe. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray today. Amen.